0: Hi everybody, my name is Pat Hogarty and welcome back to California Real Estate Principles, Real Estate 300. This happens to be show number nine. And, uh, today we're going to be talking about the information, uh, that's in the book called Licensing, Education, and Association. So specifically, what we're going to be talking about today and the next time we meet, we're going to be talking about what are the requirements for you to get a real estate license, who has to have a real estate license, who governs that process and procedure. We're going to then move on and talk about the educational requirements. In other words, what educational courses do you have to have? And we're going to be separating those into two categories. We're going to have one category where we're going to be talking about the college educational units. In other words, like this, three unit college classes that you have to have in order to get a license, either a sales or a broker's license. And the other thing we're going to talk about is something called continuing education, Which is something that after you have your real estate license that you, these are courses that you have to take and we'll talk about what they are in order for you to renew your license. And if you have your license and you, and it's the type of license that lasts for four years, then we're talking about renewing it every four years. The last thing that we're going to be talking about is something called associations. And like any other profession, whether it be, uh, you know, accountants, doctors, lawyers, whatever—they all have their professional associations, and so do real estate uh, people that are in the real estate business. So we'll be talking about the local associations, the California Association of Realtors, the National Association, and then there's some specific groups that uh, meet the needs of certain types of communities. So, for example, there's a group that deals with uh, the community and tries to represent housing needs for the black community. There's also one for the Chinese. There's one for the Hispanic um, community. So, anyway, we'll talk about those, and we'll also show you websites where all these organizations have information on their um, associations, and that's something that you may very well want to look in once you become an agent to join because you may very well want to be uh, involved in that particular community, especially if you have any kind of special skills such as the ability to speak another language uh, where you can help people understand real estate and help them in buying a house. So anyway, we're going to be talking a lot about that. One thing I do want to mention before we get started is the fact that, remember, it's not too long from now before you're going to be taking your first midterm exam. Remember a couple things that you're going to want to make sure that you've gone. You should have by now, I mean, anybody that hasn't done this by now, but you should have gone, downloaded the study guide from the Blackboard website. You should have already worked on that. I mean, hopefully what you've done is you've gone through every single solitary question. You've looked up the answer. You've written on that study guide where you found the page reference and the book where you found it, or if it wasn't in the book, a website or something. Uh, you also want to uh, make sure that you check the Blackboard website. Remember, we have a button in there with a link for the exam schedule, the day and the time that you're going to be coming onto the campus to take the exam, so make sure you check that. Uh, very very important. It's not going to be happening, it's only, uh, depending upon what semester you're in, we're only talking about a little bit of time before you'll be coming in for that first midterm exam. So anyway, I think that that's pretty much everything that I need to talk about now as far as any of the, you know, the, the uh, as they say, the, the uh, logistics of the class. What I want to do now is, as usual, I'm going to be more, moving back and forth between my old friendly document camera here and, uh, and maybe possibly this time we may have some things on the Internet that I'll be showing you. One thing I do want to mention, and I continuously do that, is anything that, anytime I show you links that are in the show, One of the things that I want to mention is that underneath your Blackboard website under web links, under that chapter, you'll find all the links that I'm showing you. And I'm continuously looking at those and updating it, trying to provide you information. And the reason why I do that is I want to make sure that you, after you leave this class, that you have some resources that you can go to in order to keep up your knowledge and information about the real estate profession. So anyway, we're going to go ahead and get started on this, and I have something on the document camera over here I'm going to be uh, pulling up, and we're going to first talk about the Department of Real Estate, and there's a lot of wording in here, but basically what I want to tell you about the Department of Real Estate, and I think almost every single solitary state, to the best of my knowledge, in other words, New York, New Jersey, Florida, all have a real estate or a department of real estate that regulates the activities of the real estate business or profession or industry. They may vary in what they do from state to state, but basically they, they usually are providing things such as licensing and uh, testing and things like that. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that. The California Department of Real Estate is, is run by somebody that's called a commissioner. This commissioner is appointed by our governor who happens to be Arnold Schwarzenegger right now. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that because, who knows, we've got some elections coming up here in the, in the near future. But anyway, he's appointed by the, uh, uh, the real estate commissioner, is appointed by the governor. And uh, he acts more or less like the CEO for the Department of Real Estate. He runs the day-to-day activities. And there's a lot of things that your book talks about in here that he does, and I'm going to go through a few of them so that you're familiar with this, and I'll be bouncing back and forth, as usual, to explain this. As it shows you here on the page, the real estate commissioner is appointed by the governor, okay? And um, a couple of the things that they do in here, they have about six, seven, eight items that they do. Uh, First of all, and I'll talk a little bit about this, the, um, the, the real estate commissioner, he is the one, you know, that everybody for the Department of Real Estate works for. He's involved in doing such things as deciding the business policy for the, state, uh, for the Department of Real Estate, so how they run the, uh, the uh, department on a daily basis. He's the one that works with and administers the policy and, if necessary, creates new policies in order to run that particular department. Uh, second thing, he informs the governor. He keeps the governor up to speed on what's happening within the real estate industry. In other words, how many people are licensed, what kinds of activities are going on, if there's been an increase in the number of people that are selling real estate, if there's been any kind of problems with violations. He takes care of all that. And he also looks at the fact of whether or not it's necessary that maybe Uh, They may be investigating the fact that maybe, hey, maybe we ought to make the requirements more stringent for a real estate license. So it's the real estate commissioner that will work together with the governor and the legislature to figure out what they should be doing and how they should administer it. The third thing that they'll do is he'll recommend any changes to the policy that he thinks that are necessary or she they're going to be regulating what we call the sales of subdivisions. And later on in future chapters, we'll get more involved in this. But one of the things, if you're dealing with a brand new residential uh, subdivision, if you will, where it could be either individual homes or lots or condominiums or townhouses, in other words, where... Uh, The subdivision never existed before, and now you're going to have brand-new homes or brand-new properties that you're going to offer to the public. One of the responsibilities of the Department of Real Estate is to ensure that something is created called a public report. And this public report, if you ever go to a brand-new subdivision or a brand-new housing uh, subdivision, if you will, and you are buying a house, one of the things that you, as a consumer, are going to be required to do as part of the transaction is you have to read this public report and you have to sign a document saying that you have read and understand what's involved. And what that public report will do, and we'll cover it in other chapters, but it'll do things like it'll talk about whether it is a homeowner's association. In other words, what the bylaws of that association is. What the, uh, it'll talk about things like what the budgets are, how the association is run. It'll talk about things called covenants, conditions, and restrictions on the properties, So you'll be made aware of the fact of whether or not your house has to be painted a certain color or whether you're allowed to park your motorhome in the street overnight or whether you can leave your trash cans out there. Okay, All those things are going to be covered under that. Also will be discussions such as where the fire department is located, whether they have fire service, school districts. All those things are going to be covered in that public report. And the idea behind that is to protect the consumers so that they become aware of you know, where this subdivision fits in the overall services and needs of the community, if you will. Okay, And then people will sign it off. Now, if you're the buyer of the home, you're going to have to read and sign this. If you happen to be the real estate agent that's sitting on that subdivision trying to sell it, then this is something you're going to have to make sure that your clients read and sign. Another time that you may get involved in this is you may be driving some people around showing them property, prospective buyers, and you've shown them a lot of houses that maybe are, uh, you know, previously owned homes, for lack of a better word, and you're driving down the street and your client says, what about that house over there? And you look at it and it happens to be a brand new house and it's in a subdivision. And you'll walk in there and maybe meet with the agent that's on the, um, uh, sitting on that subdivision, as we call it, and uh, maybe you're going to be showing them the house, and you'll get paid. You, you know, you'll be asking the agent, do you split commissions, or do you have a commission if I sell the house? And they say yes, and you'll show them the house, and you may be very well involved in explaining this public report to your clients. So very, very important that you're aware of that. But it's the Department of Real Estate that does that public report. Okay. Uh, some of the other things that they'll do is deciding the uh, commissioner. And when we say commissioner, we don't mean that this commissioner is sitting there all day doing all this work. He's got a huge staff that takes care of all this for him. Uh, But uh, the commissioner is deciding if applicants for a real estate license have met all of the experience and education requirements. What that essentially means is that whenever you apply for a real estate license, you're going to put down, for example, what your experience requirements are, your college transcripts, what your education is, so on and so forth that application goes forward to the department of real estate and then they have people that will sit down and look at that and make sure that you are meeting all of those requirements if there's something that maybe you're not quite meeting they may reject your application if there's something where you're saying you know what i you know i took a class that meets the same needs as you know for example real estate finance but they gave it a different name you may be asked to submit additional information to the department, and then they're going to make a ruling one way or the other. So anyway, somebody is screening those applications and making sure that you're fulfilling all of those requirements. Okay? Um, The next thing is, is that they'll do things like investigate complaints against allegedly incompetent license holders. So, for example, if you do something that has been deemed to be illegal that you should not have done, or if an agent has done something illegal, then consumers have the right to put in, if you will, for the lack of a better word, a complaint to the Department of Real Estate. They then have attorneys that, uh, that will sit on like a committee where you will come in or the real estate agent will come in and hear what happened and make a decision on whether or not you did something that was illegal and you, whether your license should either be completely taken away or temporarily suspended or whatever. And it's part of the fact that they're trying to protect the consumer's, uh, consumer's interests and consumer's rights. Because when you have a real estate license, one of the things that you have to realize is that you're dealing with the public. And you should be looking at the, you have to hold the public's interests at, at a very, very high level. And so they're looking to make sure that you continue to do that. The last thing that they say, uh, on, again, here is investigating complaints against those performing acts without a required license. And we'll talk about that because it's interesting, and I'm really going to kind of caution you against this, because a lot of times people will start to do things not maybe intentionally, maybe accidentally. And I'll give you some examples in a few minutes where they'll do something and they have crossed that magic line. They have gone from doing things that do not require a real estate license to things that require a license. And so we'll talk about that. From what I understand from the Department of Real Estate, and we have an attorney that comes in and speaks to our internship class all the time, he's one of the attorneys that sits there. He's the gentleman, his name is David Seals, that you'd have to hear in front of if you had a violation. But he's always told our internship class that one of the things that they have is one of the biggest problems is people practicing real estate without a license. So, again, we want to caution you that you need to make sure that if you're doing any kind of activities that you're appropriately licensed and do the activities that you're licensed for, and we'll talk more about that. So, anyway, talked about that. Uh, The next uh, thing that I want to put up here is, and I'll show you this, if not this time, the next time, this is the California Department of Real Estate website, uh, see if I can zoom in on it a little bit, and I'll actually show you the, the real one and we'll go through everything that is on this website so that you're more familiar with it. One of the things that I'm going to mention now and I'll mention many, uh, probably several times is that one thing that the state of California has done over the years is they standardize the way these websites look and the way they operate. So so it's really that's really nice. That's a really great feature that the state of California did because what happens here is that if you know how to work this site, the navigation system works the same for the Department of Motor Vehicles, works if you want to find out about a park, if you're going to go camping, guess what? The website works the same. So they've really standardized things, which are really nice, so you're not trying to figure out how it all operates but we'll be going over that because this is very important, and I'll be going over what we call e-licensing because you're going to create an account just like you would here at the college where you would have a username and a password, and you can go ahead and register to take your exam, get the appropriate documentation, schedule your exam date, so on and so forth, actually even down to the point of finding out how well you did on the exam, okay? So, or finding out if you passed or not, let's say. The next thing we want to talk about here is who has to have a license. Okay? Now, this is where I think that you really have to be very careful and look at because, and let me give you an example why I want to caution you against this. It's not uncommon, for example, for somebody that's in the real estate profession that's maybe been in it for several years becomes very successful. And as they become more successful, they say, you know what, I'm spending all of my time filling out paperwork, filing paperwork, and doing a lot of different activities. And where my time is better spent is with my clients, not making file folders, okay, Uh, not making open house flyers. I'm better off showing properties. So what they may very well do is maybe decide to hire somebody to help them. We call those assistants or real estate assistants. And that real estate assistant might be somebody, it could be another salesperson, it could be a broker, or it could be somebody like your daughter, your son, a college help, or a real estate student, whatever, somebody that or somebody that just has that clerical skill. And you may start out by just giving them duties that um, you know that maybe don't require a license, such as make a file folder and file all the contracts in the file folder. Uh Go ahead and make flyers for an open house. Things like that. Simple, simple things. But as time goes by and you start to trust them more, all of a sudden you may do something like say, Well, go ahead and meet me out at the open house this weekend, bring the signs out. Well, that's okay. Put the signs up. That's okay. And then all of a sudden, maybe you're late, running late for the open house. And what ends up happening is that the This person is sitting there, and the next thing you know, somebody walks in, they start giving them flyers, they start providing information for them, helping them find properties. They have just crossed the line. They are now doing activities that require a license. When they cross that line and they do something, that means that they violated the law. And that means when they violate the law, you're going to be in trouble too. Okay, And that's usually where you're getting yourself dragged in because those people maybe not had a license or understand all of the intricacies of the business. And they just start providing stuff only to find out. And you may say, well, I've done that for several months and nothing has ever happened. Well, nothing, nothing may come up. It's usually when something goes wrong. And then all of a sudden they say, well, how did you know? Well, their assistant showed me the properties, took me out in their car, gave me this. Uh-oh, they just did something that was against the law. That's where you get yourself in trouble. And you won't even realize you're moving, you cross the line. My recommendation, and I think the recommendation to a lot of people, is if you have somebody that you're thinking is getting close to doing that, and what you may want to do is have them go to school and get a real estate license. So now they're properly licensed to work with you. And so if they do cross the line, they're not crossing the line, they're already licensed to do it. Okay? Very important. But anyway, when do you have to have a license? First of all, if you sell, you offer to sell, buys or offers to buys or solicits buyers or sellers, you have to have a license. So if you're showing property, you're helping people make an offer, uh, you're calling up people and saying, Are you interested in selling your house? You have to have a license to do that stuff. Okay? Number two, if you solicit to obtain listings, that's again the same thing, like for example, calling up uh, uh, somebody that's a for sale by owner and saying, excuse me, are you interested in selling, listing your property for sale or expired listings or just calling in a general area and saying, you know, by the way, I have a client that's interested in moving into the area and I want to know if your house is for sale, okay? Any of that soliciting, you have to have a license to do that. The next thing, if you negotiate the purchase, the sale, or exchange of real or business opportunities, you have to have a license. Business opportunities are businesses, like selling a donut shop, a coffee shop, ice cream parlor, all those really good businesses to be in. If you're involved with leasing rent, you collect rents, or you negotiate the sale, purchase, or exchange of leases, you have to have a license. If you assist in the purchase of leases on lands owned by the state or the federal government, you have to, or you negotiate loans, collect payments, or perform services uh, of lenders. You have to have a license. Okay, so you have to have a license to do any of those things. Very, very important. If you're in doubt, uh, I think you need to talk to um, <laughs> you need to talk to somebody. You know, you you shouldn't be, you cannot go out and ha- hang a shingle. And start doing business without having a license. Okay. And by the way, if you have a sales license, you have to work for a real estate broker. You can't get a sales license and go to work for yourself. You have to work for a broker. Okay. Then it says uh, down below. The last thing here it says: any person found to be involved in such actions without a license may be guilty of breaking the real estate law under which a stiff penalties can be imposed. Okay. Now, when do you not have to have a license? When are you not required to have a license, okay? So we're going to go over what that is. First of all, if you're an employee of a lending institution, you don't have to have a license. So if you're working for Wells Fargo, Bank of America, you're working as an escrow, not an escrow, but you're working as a a loan processor for a loan company, stuff like that, you don't have to have a license, okay? Now, the people soliciting may, but you don't. Number two, lenders making federally insured or guaranteed loans don't. Uh, certain agricultural associations don't. Now, again, I don't have any examples off the top of my head, but, you know, if you're in question, you need to call the Department of Real Estate. Licensed personal property brokers. I would say licensed personal property brokers, personal property would be things like, um, for example, antique dealers, people that are selling, uh, you know, washing machines, dryers, anything that would be personal property don't have to have a real estate license, okay? Um, if you're interested, I haven't looked this up, but cemetery authorities for whatever that's worth, you know, because you are selling real estate that you do own for the rest of you know, beyond your life. But you know, they're saying, but I, again, if you're going to get in that business, I would probably make sure that I would, you know, whether or not I had a license. It's not something that's interested in me that I've followed through on. Um, if you collect loans made on real property, no, like a bill, like a collector, okay, or certain clerical help, you don't have to, okay? Okay, so this is, um, okay, a person, uh, here's some other things. A person who is not a real estate salesperson or broker may solicit for sale or real property according to this section as long as he or she is. So this is also, in addition to that, saying that, hold on one second here, let me just look. Yeah. Um, if you are the owner of property, I get this question a lot. If you own the property, do you have to have a real estate license to buy or sell for, your, for yourself? The answer to that is no. If you decide you want to go home tonight and you want to sell your house and you want to go and put a for sale sign up outside, do you have to have a real estate license? No. If you decide to buy your neighbor's house, do you have to have a real estate license? No. Okay? Okay. So for your own self, no. Uh, number two, if you're holding a power of attorney for an owner. Now, a power of attorney can come a lot, around in a lot of different ways. A power of attorney is where you have the right that has been uh, been granted to you by an individual to sign for them in their absence. Let me give you an example. Uh, it is not... When I was buying my house, building my house a couple years ago, my wife was going to be out of town on vacation. We were selling a house. There was a good possibility while she was going to be out of town, actually out of the country, that we may have gotten an offer on the property. And and when you think about it, when you receive an offer on a piece of property, what you have to do is you have to respond back to it, usually within like 48 or 72 hours. I knew that if we did receive an offer, which I never knew whether we would or not or how quickly we would – I did know that when I received it, that the chances of me being able to get the documentation to her and get her to sign and get it all back would take quite a while. So in order to take care of that, what we did is the escrow company we were dealing with, all we did is go to the escrow officer, have the escrow officer prepare a power of attorney that my wife signed, and that gave me the authorization to only sign, by the way, on that transaction. So it limited me. She couldn't come back and find out I sold the car and I sold the whole bunch of other stuff. It was limited on that, okay? And there's usually two t- types of power of attorneys. What I commonly refer to as the specific, which deals with that transaction, that transaction only. And then there's also something called the general power of attorney. That's usually given to somebody that has more or less like a conservator type of role or somebody that's going to be ha- helping somebody that maybe just does not have that ability to sign for themselves, You know, that maybe make good decisions, if you will. One of the things I will tell you that is important is that if you are going to have a power of an attorney, that you make sure that whoever you're going to be dealing with will accept that because you may find out that, for example, you may have like a general power of attorney and find out that a bank will not accept that as you signing under that general power. They want something that's more specific. So, again, you want to check. I would say if you're listing a property for sale, you're working with a buyer, one of the questions you should be asking them is, is anybody going to be going out of town that we need to have signed? And if the answer to that is yes, then have some kind of a power of attorney created for them. Um, Let me see. If you're a receiver or court appointee, then you don't have to have a license, or you're a trustee selling under a deed of trust. So, in other words, when we talk about deeds and trusts and mortgages, a deed of trust has three parties. It has somebody that borrows the money, somebody that lends the money. The person that borrows the money is called the trustor. The person that lends the money, like Bank of America, is called the beneficiary. And the person that holds, if you will, the title to the property you know, as collateral until that loan is paid off is called the trustee. If that trustee has to sell the property because the person that borrowed the money didn't pay it, then that person does not have does not require to have uh, a real estate license to do that. They're selling under the power of the trustee power of sale to do that. Okay, now once we understand what we do and again if you're not sure you need to check. These are just general guidelines. They are not don't say Pat said that, you know, you need to check if you're in doubt. Now, what Obtaining a license, what do you have to do? So it says, obtaining a real estate license, you must first qualify and pass a written examination. Uh, After passing the exam, a license application must be submitted to and approved by the Department of Real Estate. Now, let me mention something about that. I've seen the Department of Real Estate go through over many, many, many years a lot of different ways that they do this. At one time, if I remember correctly, I'm talking years ago, you, which you guys don't have to worry about anymore. That you really couldn't take the exam unless you had some broker that was going to sign for you, because you had to know who the, who the broker was that was going to sponsor you. Then they went through a period of time where they said, you know what? Um, what we're going to do is that um, you will take your license, we'll take, we'll let you take the exam, and we'll take an application. So we'll take your application, and you're going and you're gonna take the exam at the same time. So they took both at the same time. So you'd fill out the application, you'd take the exam. Then when they started to get a lot of demand for licenses, somewhere along the line, they said, wait a minute, every time somebody submits this thing for an exam, we're having to create a whole brand new file for just this person. So why don't we do this? Why don't we use the exam as part of the screening process? We'll let them go ahead and apply for the exam, take the exam, and then if they pass it, then they apply for the license. Okay? And that went on for a period of time. Um, you know, where basically what would happen is that you, you would you would, um, you would would have to apply for the exam, and, and the requirements at that time, and they are today, you can apply for the exam, apply to take the test, as long as you are enrolled in this class, okay? As long as you are enrolled in real estate principles, you can apply to take the exam. Now, some students will do that because they're going to set like a target date for themselves and say, you know what, I'm going to force myself to be prepared to take the exam. So I'm going to pick a date, like October or November. I'm going to schedule it so I'm working towards a date to pass the exam. Um, now, from what I understand, it, I'd have to go back and check again at the Department of Real Estate website because I think it's under a little banner that says new. I think that you can apply for the exam and, and put your license at the same time. So it varies back and forth. The important point is that you have to pass the exam in order, though, to get the license. Once you pass the exam, that's the ticket to move forward. The question always comes back, can I take the exam more than once? The answer to that is yes. You can take that exam over and over and over again. I think there's something like, and this fee varies or it may change, I think there's like a $25 re-examination fee, and you can pay that and take it again. Uh, I've heard of people that have taken it three, four, five, six times. I've also had stacks of students that have gone down and taken it and passed it the first time. I think it all has to do with how you prepare to take the, you know, how you prepare to take the exam. But anyway, uh, anyway, so let me move on from there. Uh, anyway, so what, what are some of the requirements that you have to fulfill? Number one, you have to be at least 18 years of age to be licensed. But there's no age restrictions. Uh, there's no age restrictions for taking the exam. So that means that you could take the exam prior to you being 18 years of age, but you can't have a license until you're 18. Also, I don't think you have to worry. You could be 150 and still practice real estate. So there's no age limitation on how old you can be. Number two, you have to have residence. You have to prove of legal presence in the United States is required. It does not mean that you're, whether you're a citizen or not. It just means can you legally be in the United States. That's what they're asking for. Are there people at hold real estate licensed and are not United States citizens? The answer to that is yes. Okay? Um, if you are not a California resident, refer to out-of-state applicants. So that's another thing. So people coming from another state that may have a license or want to take it someplace else may have to look at that. Number three, honesty. This is the one that trips everybody up every time. It says, honesty, applicants must be honest and truthful. Conviction of a crime may result in denial of the license. Now, let me take a minute and explain this. I do this every semester. We have the Department of Real Estate that comes in during our internship program, David Seals. He's the guy. He's the man that sits on that board and makes those decisions, Every time he comes in, he's the one guest speaker that gets everybody angry. <laughs> and the reason why is because he tells them the truth. And the truth of the matter is is that if you have anything in your background at all, anything, you have to disclose it. If you don't disclose it and the Department of Real Estate finds out about it, either at the time that they run your background check or any future date, they can pull your license like that, and that's it. It's done. And the reason why they do that is because they're looking at the fact that you represent the uh, the uh, which you could solve the um, public. And in order for you to represent the public or be involved in the public, you have to be truthful and honest. And if they find out that you lie on the li- application, they're going to consider the fact that you're going to lie in your day-to-day activities. So if you have anything in your background, no matter how silly and no matter how stupid it is, you have to disclose it. And what happens is, is if you disclose that something has happened, That does not mean you're not going to get a license. What it does mean is that they may take your application out of the stack, they'll take and they'll review that application, and they will turn around and maybe hand it over to somebody else that will do some further investigation. And the thing that always gets the people, the students, that they can't believe is David's examples. And he'll say something like, if you got caught stealing a pencil on a store and you were arrested and you didn't disclose it, could that prevent you from getting a license? The answer to that is yes, because you lied on the application. On the other hand, if you had been in jail you know, for five or six years and had something, is there, does that mean you can't get a license? The answer to that is no. If you disclose it, and then they'll look on a case-by-case basis. So they're looking for honesty and truthfulness, and that's how they do it. Very, very important fact. If in doubt, Disclose. And he got, the other thing he does is he goes through all these different scenarios about, oh, I didn't know that I had to. I wasn't sure if I did. He has no, he has no uh, how could you say it? He has no compassion for them. He said the law says this. You follow the law. If you break the law, that's it. If you do not disclose, and that's the whole thing, you have to disclose. You must disclose what's happened. And that's it. Um, education. Okay? This down here is very important because this is you're talking here about the college-level education. So it says education, successful completion of the following college-level courses is required to become a real estate salesperson. This is very important. Number one, real estate principles must be completed or in progress to apply for the examination and must be completed prior to applying for the license. So the scenario here is, is that you're enrolled in this class, You apply, say, the day that you enroll, you apply for the exam, you take the exam, you pass the exam. Okay, now you got past that wicket, but you still have to wait until you complete this and have an official college transcript to submit with your official application for the license in order for you to go forward, okay? Number two. Real estate practice must be completed prior to applying for the license or within 18 months of license issuance. What this means is can you have a real estate license, can you take take this class, take the exam, pass the exam, apply for a license, and get a real estate license? Yes, you can. But that license you get is like a probationary or temporary license It's only good for 18 months. At the end of that 18 months, if you have not taken real estate practice in one other class, that license becomes vaporware. It disappears. You don't renew it. You can't renew it. What it is is it completely disappears, and you have to go back through the whole process again. Okay, very, very important. And the reason why I stress that is here's what happens. Students will go and say, take this class. And then what will happen is they'll pass, and they'll get a license, and then they'll go down and they'll go to work for a real estate broker. And what will happen is for some sheer Reason they get busy, and they start making money, and they become successful. And they forget all about the fact that they haven't had these additional classes. Now what happens is time starts marching on, and before they know it, the 18 months starts creeping up on them. And that time, now all of a sudden, they've got all these transactions in the pipeline with commissions on the line, and all of a sudden they turn around one day and say, oh, my goodness, my license is going to expire like next month. I didn't take the time to get those classes. So I guess what I'm saying is you want to really keep that in the back of your mind. You know, you may want to get the license but put on your list of things to do that you need to take that practice in one other class. Otherwise that license completely just is gone after 18 months. Uh, and this here for our purposes is called real estate 310, okay? And we also have that class now online like you're taking it right now with all the video and everything else. Now, one additional class you can take, and we'll talk about what those additional classes are, but you have to take one additional DRE-approved real estate course, must be completed before applying or within the 18 months. Okay, And that can be, when I talk about them, they can be things like real estate finance, real estate economics, real estate appraisal, um, escrows, uh, property management, um, And one of the new classes we're doing in the spring, which is a wonderful class called Computer Applications in Real Estate. Nobody else teaches it. It'll be the first time. That class will count towards one of the classes, or it'll count towards your broker's license. So keep that in mind. Um, This page right here just talks about that conditional license that I said probationary, but the correct term is conditional license. And this talks about the fact that it only lasts for 18 months. Very, very important fact. Okay. This talks about the regular, normal, renewable license, and this tells you right here that you know to get the license, uh, you have to complete the college-level principal's course and the real estate practice course and one of the other classes. You have to pass the DRE salesperson exam and pay the necessary fees. And we'll talk about that when I show you the website because there's like an application fee, there's a fingerprinting fee, there's several different fees. And the nice thing about the Department of Real Estate website is that it gives you all that? What they've done is they put a thing under there called examinees, and underneath there has all the information that you'd ever want to know about how to get this license, all the forms, all the fees, everything, a lot right there. So it answers all your questions. They did a really great job when they put that together. Um, this will do uh, the next time too. This is I'm going to be going over this. Um, uh, you know, where you take the real estate exam, you, you schedule all that online. So when we get to that point, I'll show you how you do that online. I'll show you where you can take the exam, okay? Uh, I'll go over all of that with you. Now, the next thing I wanted to point out that they show you here is that they're differentiating this page here, and I'll just mention what it is and move on. This gives you a list of groups of subjects that they'll talk about and test you on in the real estate tests. That's going down this way. Going across tells you what percentage of those exams, what percentage of those questions are the exams going to be dedicated to that topic. So for example, property ownership and land use controls and regulations, and it tells you... For example, that's going to cover classes of properties, characteristics, encumbrances, types of ownership, legal descriptions, things like that. On the salesperson's exam, 18% of the exam is going to involve topics in that area. Now, what's nice about that is it gives you a rough idea. If you match that with the chapter, that'll tell you what areas you need to be studying. You'll notice on the broker's exam, there's less of that covered. Now, the reason why they do that is because they're making the assumption that you already have that experience and know that topic really well, and what you'll do is you'll find there are other areas in which the broker has more concentration. Again, this will talk about laws of agency, value of the property, financing, transfers of the property, such as things as title insurance, deeds, escrow reports, and um Finally, uh, something that I think is extremely important, that is the practice of real estate and the mandated disclosures. These become very, very important. We're going to spend quite a bit of time going over these disclosures because one of the things that is required uh, that you need to make sure, especially when you are either listing a property for sale or you're helping somebody buy a property, is that the owner of the property is going to have to disclose all kinds of stuff about the properties or about the property, they're going to have to tell you what kinds of amenities it may have, like does it have a range, an oven, does it have a fire alarm system, does it have an intercom system, a central vacuum system. They have to disclose all that. They also have to tell you whether or not this stuff works, or they believe whether it works or not. So we'll talk more about that. So There's a lot of disclosures, and I actually... Even think about taking disclosures to the next level, which is the fact that there a lot of these disclosures could even be considered, in my opinion, getting in the area of things like termite reports, title reports, all those things that the buyer needs to know about before they make a decision to finally complete the transaction. So they're going to want to know, you know, is there any, any easements on the property that affect how they're going to use it? is there any mechanics liens on the property they're going to want to know that they're going to want to know is there any termite work that needs to be done is the roof in good shape there's a lot of this kinds of disclosure and you as the agent are going to have to help them making sure they get those reports they read them they understand them and they're also going to have to sign off to they and acknowledge that they've read and understand them so you're going to have to produce it you're going to have to help them through to understand what that is and disclosure is very important I actually think sometimes we're getting to the point where we disclose so much and we give so much paperwork to people that I wonder sometimes how much the normal average consumer can comprehend. But what you're going to be doing is hopefully helping and guiding them through and pointing out those things and making it easier for them to understand. That's going to be part of your role of, uh, in the real estate industry. So anyway, this is all how the subjects are broken down to help you study. Uh I'm trying to see here, okay, this right here is showing you the courses that you would normally take. This up here will talk about you have to have real estate principles and real estate practice, and then this gives you a list of the college-level courses that you you can take for that third thing for the sales license. So, for example, and I always kind of like to point this out, uh This, you know, real estate appraisal would be one of them, okay? There's normally a basic real estate appraisal class and an advanced real estate appraisal class. Uh, Accounting, now, for some of you, you may have had a degree in business in which you've had to take accounting classes, so that accounting class could count towards your licensing, Another one would be business law. If you happen to be a business major, you've probably taken business law to get your degree. It's usually a requirement either at the end, you know, usually somewhere along your undergraduate studies. Legal aspects of real estate is another one. Real estate financing, real estate economics, escrows, property management, real estate office administration, which would be running the day-to-day activities of a real estate office, mortgage loan, brokering, and lending which is a little bit different than real estate financing. You're talking about brokering loans between investors and, and the public. Um, then here is that one class I was talking about, the computer applications in real estate, which is that new class that we've developed for, for you all. That's one of the classes you can use for your sales or your broker's license. And with computers being a big part of real estate today, that's a very important topic. And then common interest development. Common interest development would be things like homeowners associations, things along that line. Um, okay, down here is applicants for a broker's license. Now, now sometimes people will say to me, well, do I have to have a broker's license? And the answer to that is, is uh, there's different reasons why people get a broker's license. Uh, one of the reasons why people will get it even so, they're not going to be a broker and have anybody work for them, but they feel more confident and comfortable that they can say, I'm a real estate broker. That They like that. That makes them feel better. The second thing is, is if they're a broker, they can open up their own practice. They don't have to work, if they choose to, they don't have to work for a broker. Um, some of the other reasons, and people that will look at a brokerage, there are a lot of people that will actually like the idea of having additional education. I mean, you'll notice they'll have a business card. They'll say they're a real estate broker. They're a GRI. They're, they'll have one designation after the other because that helps them. They feel better having that stuff. But anyway, if you want to become a real estate broker okay, the educa- for an educational requirements, You have to have these courses. So it will tell you here an applicant for a broker's license examination must have completed eight courses in addition to the experience requirements, and we'll talk again about that. These eight courses must include the following five. So you have to have real estate practice, legal aspects of real estate, real estate financing, real estate appraisal, and real estate economics or accounting. You have to have those. Then once you have those five, then you have to pick one, three from the remaining down here, which should be familiar to all of you that are in college because that's the way a lot of our degree programs work, where you have a core and then you have some additional optional ones. So then you can pick principles, business law, property management, so on and so forth. So this tells you what your educational requirements are for the broker's license. Okay? Okay. Um, I am looking here to see, okay, when you take your license exam for your sales license, okay, you're going to be notified as to whether you pass or not. Unless they change it sometime in the future. If you pass, you pass, okay, they normally do not give you a score and say you got 95 or 80 or 6 and uh, not uh, you know or 96 or something on the exam. They don't tell you that. They just say you passed. The only people that drives crazy is normally people that are like my students that are A students. They always want to know what did I get on this test? You know, usually other people will say I passed. I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's kind of like basic training in the military. Once you go through it one time, you're done, you know. Uh, so anyway, it'll, it'll tell you here, it'll say you'll be notified of your examination results by mail, normally within five working days after the examination. You can also check your examination results using the DRE website, and this is where you've done the e-licensing. So once you've established that account, you can go in and see if, you've, if they've posted your results if you don't pass then they'll tell you what your score is okay it used to be where if i get a it used to be where if i had an envelope and i got a thin envelope i was doing okay that meant i passed if i got a thick envelope it means that i had some more paper in there and there was something else wrong i don't know how true that is anymore to pass the examination you must correctly answer 70% of the questions okay and on the exam i'm not sure whether they tell you this or not but the exam has uh, Somewhere in here, or on another page, it has 150 questions, okay, on the exam. And I believe you have something like three hours and 15 minutes to take the exam. So it's 150 questions, and that's why I would recommend that you study and that you start practicing and pace yourself so you have a rough idea how long it takes you to get through those uh, exams. And uh, practice makes perfect, you know. and preparing for them, and making sure that you, when, especially like when you're studying, not only knowing what the right answer is, but knowing why the other answers are wrong. That's very important to know that, so that you can sit there and say, I know answer B is right, this is why, and, and A, C, and D are wrong for these reasons. That means that if you can do that, you understand the material well. What you don't want to do is you don't want to be in a situation where you're memorizing the answer. That's not good. And the other reason why is when you get out there and you're actually practicing real estate, you're going to find out that your client's not going to ask you a question. You're going to say, the answer is B. You're going to find out in the real world you're going to be spending most of your time trying to help the client clarify what their question is. And then you're going to be spending a lot of time probably looking up, once you understand what it is, finding out what the answer is, and then having documentation that justifies what you're saying. You know, you're not just going to be answering off the top of your head. You'll say something, oh, according to this, according to the contract, it said this. So you're going to want to get used to the fact of understanding the question well, making sure you've got it correct, being able to research and find the answer, and then justify your answer with some form of documentation. That's what my personal opinion is. I may have a lot of people disagree with me, but that's the way I think all the time. You need to not just say something. You need to be able to say it and justify how come you said it that way. Very important. That's why I have you look the answers up right down the page so you can say, you, you know, so if I have something marked wrong, you can say, Pat, you're wrong, and I'm right, and the reason why is because I say it's B, you said it's C. Here's where I found the answer. This is my proof of why I'm wrong and you're right. You want to get used to doing things like that, I think at least. Um, then down from here, it talks about the fact that, you know, you're going to have to have fingerprint uh, requirement for both the salesperson and the broker, Okay, and um, I think that's pretty much it. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about is the broker's license, getting a real estate broker's license. Um, Let me make sure we've got, okay. First of all, one thing I always find interesting here is that it says you must be 18 years of age to apply for the license, okay? What's interesting about that that I find is that the only people I could even potentially qualify for that if they were 18, because remember, you're going to have to have two years of experience is that you'd have to have a bachelor's degree to get through. So it's kind of funny. I mean, the age requirement is the same in both cases. You have to be 18 for a sales or 18 for a broker's license. Uh, again, you have to take and prove uh, legal presence in the United States. There's issues if you're out of state. You have to have previous experience two years now, what this means is you have to have documented proof that you have worked as a real estate salesperson for two solid years. Signed justifiable proof. Now, that's for a person that only is going to qualify for the under-experience by just having experience. On the other hand, if you happen to have an associate's degree, then that can count for one of the years of experience. So in other words, what I mean is you could have somebody that could have worked in the real estate industry for a year and also have an associate's degree, and those two things together would qualify for them to take the broker's exam. The other thing is is that if you have a four-year degree, and there is no requirement, by the way, nothing says that your, your degree has got to be in real estate or business or anything. For example, you could have a degree in nursing, or in political science, or whatever. But if you have a four-year degree, then that takes care of the two-year experience requirements. So that means that you could have somebody who has a four-year degree, takes all of the courses that are required, applies, passes the exam, and gets a broker's license, and maybe has not ever really practiced real estate. Now, the interesting thing about that is I think that they would find that very hard because one of the hardest things in any profession is getting that hands-on experience. I mean, I jokingly say even when I started teaching college here at this campus, it took me over a year before I realized that where it said staff in the parking lot meant me. You know what I mean? Or how to really work the copy machine. I mean, there's so many things you have to learn within the industry, the real-world experience, that you need to have that guidance of a, and mentorship of a really good, solid real estate broker to help you through that. You know, all those things that you need to deal with, for how to work with people, how to open, hold open houses, how to deal with different types of clients, you need to have that experience. So I would think it would be very difficult to just take the exam, go with your degree, and then start practicing without having anybody guiding you along the way. Um, you have to complete the eight brokerage courses. You have to be honest and truthful, and you have to pass the exam, the DRE exam. Um, This is the part down here that talks about how the college can qualify you for that experience. It says, besides direct experience in these fields, education may qualify as full or partial experience. For example, the commissioner has ruled that any individual with a four-year college degree is exempt from the two-year experience requirement. Okay, That's the way it stands today. That does not mean that the commissioner down the future or somebody will have a different requirement. We're talking about right now today. And there's always discussion about making the requirements differ. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to do it, but there's always that discussion going on, all right? And there's a lot of reasons why they do that. One is that the profession, people that are in the profession already feel that, you you know, you shouldn't, you know, you need to have good, solid experience to go out there so they may have a requirement Uh, we We have seen this, interestingly enough, not in the real estate sales or brokerage part of it, but we've seen it in the appraisal area. If you're going to be an appraiser, you cannot go out there and take a bunch of classes and have a degree and start appraising property. The Office of Real Estate Appraisers require you to have one year solid experience under the guidance of a real estate appraiser, a licensed real estate appraiser, checking everything you do before you can actually do an appraisal and sign off your own work. So they've gotten very, very strict and stringent how they do that. So that it's not uncommon, and I don't want people to say, well, Pat said, but you, know, you see as time goes by, if there's a problem, they will put additional restrictions on. Okay, um, this is the part uh, right here I wanted to point out. We're getting really close to the end now, uh, where they talk about the BS and BA four-year degree equals two years of experience, and AA two-year degree equals one year of experience, so that you know I wasn't kind of making this up. The other thing I want to mention to you, too, is that when we get next time to the Department of Real Estate website, I'm going to show you on the website where all this stuff is there. In fact, you'll be saying, now that I see where the Department of Real Estate has this, I know where the author got this information from. Because, you know, if anything changes... The Department of Real Estate will update their website so that everybody knows about it. And what becomes important is that you have a resource to go to, but they have all of these requirements that you see in the book listed on their website. Everything is there, almost, uh, if you will, word for word. It's that clear, okay, because this is all you want to follow the law, follow it, which you should be doing. Um, I'm going to kind of come to the end now. A couple things that I want to mention to you. I want to remember where we left off. Uh, The thing that we want to keep in mind is that the uh, next time that we meet, we're going to continue on with this. I want to encourage you to do a couple things, by the way. Um, I'm really trying very hard to integrate the idea of you all having stuff that's in the Blackboard website that are links to other sites that will be like the Department of Real Estate the Sacramento Association of Realtors, FHA, VA, CalVet, all these different agencies that you have to deal with. And the reason why I want to encourage you to do that is because I want to kind of make you um, resourceful and independent when you leave. I want you to be able to that. If somebody says to you, uh, how do I go about getting a CalVet loan? You may say in your mind, I don't know, but I know where to go to get the information. You know, somebody may say, I'm thinking about a FHA loan. Where do I go to get the information? You want to be able to go there and find it. And because things change on a regular basis, for example, on loans, we have what we call conforming and nonconforming loans. That amount of money changes every year. And so for you to know that $417,000 right now is a conforming loan, where would you find that? You'd have to know where to go on a website to find it. So that's why I want you all to become self-sufficient to be able to do that on your own so that you don't have to talk to me. You can do your own research. That's why I'm including all this website stuff on there. And very, very important, not only that you know how to do it, but also that you can help identify whether it's accurate or not. You're looking for, oh, that's the older version. This is the newer version. So I'm going to have stuff in there like IRS websites, all kinds of stuff in there, and I want you to check that out. With that, I want to thank you very much for co- coming, and we will see you back here again for show number 10 the next time. Thanks a lot for watching.